coming up on The Dr. John Deloney Show. What can I do about my husband that degrades, belittles me, and cusses me out, specifically to me, but also in front of my four-year-old daughter? Get out. I've been really nervous because it wasn't an easy question to ask. And I appreciate you saying that. I'm both sorry and not sorry that I've got such a visceral response. What up, what up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show, and I'm about 750 milligrams of caffeine into today, and we're happy to have you. On this show, we talk about your mental health, clearly not your uh, metabolic health, because I am pretty juiced to the gills today. But we talk about your mental health and your emotional health and your marriage and your kids and whatever you got going on in your life. We got a studio audience out here, and there's a beautiful little girl waving. Good to see you. Um, on today's show, we're going to talk about any number of things, and I really never know what's coming because today the show's made up of callers just like you. Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, grandparents, kids going through life, doing life in real time, struggling with real stuff. If you want to be a caller on the show, you want to call in. Um, you are going to be having a private conversation in front of millions of people. But if you want to be on the show, give me a buzz at 1-844-693-3291. It's 1-844-693-3291 or go to johndeloney.com slash ask. And when does this episode come out? 21st? The 13th. 13th. Oh, because it says publish date, 13th? Yeah. You Maybe guys, it's time you learn the lingo. You guys and your numbers back I know, there. in our, all of our fancy lingo. All right, if they haven't sold out by the time this show airs, which they may have, if they haven't sold out, um, Questions for Humans are out. The Christmas deck sells out every year. Um, but we're going to do a couple right now? Yes. Let's party. All right. Are the holidays more magical or more stressful for you? Oh, man. Um, you go first. So I, I, yes. I yes. think it's the answer. Yes, they're stressful. Um, how much is stress is self-imposed and um, how much of it is 99.9% of it is self-imposed because if we're talking Christmas, we don't travel. Um, I follow my parents rule, which was my kids spend every Christmas in our home. If you want to come visit, great. You're welcome. But I spent every Christmas in my home growing up and our kids have done the same. So we don't even travel. It's any stress is self-imposed by me of we have to do all of these things. You know, we have to do the cookies and there has to be this and it has to be this. And, and because I'm a bit of a control freak. Stop it. Really? I know it's everything has to be just right. I've learned to let a lot of that go over the past few years to make it less stressful. You saw frozen one and you're uh, like, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, that's exactly how that went. Uh, but, um, a so lot why, of that is so, so why on behalf of people everywhere, why do you do that to yourself? Um, I think it's it's a I'm big on traditions, and this is the ones my family has. So this is the ones we're going to do, and trying to bring Robertson. We have to do all of the things because we only do them, you know, all the different things because we only do them once a year. And then you know, last year life blew up on Christmas Eve, and I was like, oh, clearly we're not doing anything. So this year, there's a lot of those things. We're like, we're letting those go. Huh. So I. <laughs> Man, it's not a fair question for me to answer because I think that I traffic in magic with most of my life and my wife traffics in reality. And so I can imagine we have very different answers to this, that it's more stressful because there's packing and traveling and I tend to um, not so much live in reality sometimes. I've never seen that. I know. I know. <laughs> Um, we'll just get there when we get there. We'll have tons of fun. And if we don't have a hotel, eh, it's fine. Let's figure it out when we get there. Yeah. If We have not had a family adventure. We all slept in the car yet in another state, right? So uh, for me, it's just all magic. And for, I think for my wife and those who orbit me, it maybe is not quite so magical. And so I think that's where the balance happens, right? I I try to take on some stress and I think I try to give some, yeah. some um, provide magic. We do a couple of different experiences now. Like, there's a, a light thing here at the our zoo does this light thing. This uh, it's amazing, and so we've started doing more of those things. And that's one reason we decorate a little earlier. And it's just so that when we come back from Thanksgiving, it's not like go go go. It's like no wait, we're going to back it up a week, and then we can just kind of ease into it. And that that helps a lot with me. But do I've you also announce to the family, hey y'all, let's back that thing up? Because if you did, that'd be incredible. <laughs> 
Actually, I probably have before. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do another one. All right. Oh, hold on. I think I think a good thing going forward is if you answer that question, it's just pure magic. You're probably not helping around the house enough. Right. It's stressful for somebody. Yes. And yeah. if you're like, it's so stressful. I want to challenge you to ask yourself what are ways you could make it not so yeah. stressful. And what you can let go of. Yes. Yeah. Because and not hold back anymore. Right. Just let it go. Because whatever you're making stressful is pretty much in your own mind. I often think that. And if people are adding stress, it may be the season two. Cut them out. Yeah. I was going to do the same thing with hand motions, but I decided not to. Okay. What's another one? <laughs> All right. This is an easy one for me. Which Christmas song, and I know your answer too, would you pay $67 to never hear again? I would pay $670 to never hear Little Drummer Boy. Little Drummer Boy for you. Yeah, you hate that song. You know why? Because the Antichrist wrote it. As he fell from heaven down to the pits of hell, he was like, I've got one more curse to leave humanity. Okay, what about the um, the Bing Crosby... uh, yeah, Will shaking his head. You're literally the best guitarist I know in person. And the song is played with a snare drum. What about the Bing Crosby, David Bowie version? Everybody keeps sending me that. Oh my God, it's so good. That is like shining up a like a car without it, that doesn't run anymore with dog cha-cha. It's just like, <laughs> you can't polish that thing up, man. It's so good. Love that one. If maybe if like Pantera did like a staccato, like <laughs> then I could get behind it. Pro- maybe, maybe, maybe. I just, any, everybody's like, guys, imagine Will, somebody rolls into band practice, like, guys, I got a new tune. No drums, no bass, just snare. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, let's let it rip. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, pa pum pum Me and my bum, my drum. Go ahead. What about you? Mary, did you know? Oh, yeah, you hate, hate Mary. That's, no, she knew in the Bible. The angel <laughs> told her. It's a whole thing. He came and told her. <laughs> yes, she knew. We know that. I just annoys the ever-living crap out of me. But some, I, I've seen it on the internet. People get pregnant. They're like, I had no idea. Yes, because an angel didn't come down from heaven and tell them <laughs> what happened. And you're giving birth to the Son of God. I mean, it's, yes, she knew. Ayo, pa rum pa pum pum. If that song, we had, need to make a, If that song had just a, a mashup, yes, no, hundred percent. My son does stuff like that. He does music stuff. I've, I'm going to have him work on he this. He needs to to bring the thunder on that one. Yeah, snare only. No, nothing with a melody in it. It just Mary. Did you know over and over? Mary, did you know? And nothing. What is that? I've seen that on on the internet. Like nothing says. Oh, that guy's going to grow up to be a man that a woman just gave birth and a little boy's like, oh, I know what she needs. <laughs> yeah. Hitting a drum. Yeah, really. That's, by the way, as you know, when you, any new moms in your life, that's not what they need. No, nope. they don't need a new drum. Casseroles, clean the house, come hold the baby so they can sleep. They do not need a drum solo. <laughs> Let's go down the road to, to talk to Nikki in Knoxville, Tennessee. What's up, Nikki? Hey, how are you? <laughs> I mean, literally couldn't be better. That's probably a little bit of exaggeration, but I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing good. Now, Mary, Mary did you know, is never going to be the same to me again. Because <laughs> she knew, but, right? Yeah, right. And I never thought of it that way. So now, CeeLo's version was one of my favorites. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. I was. I can get us, just get us derailed. All right, go for it. So what's up? So, um, how can I, what can I do about my husband that degrades, belittle me and cusses me out specifically to me, but also in front of my four-year-old daughter? Get out. Yeah, I know. It, it was a really, it, I've been really nervous because it, it wasn't an easy question to ask. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that. And I'm, I, I, I'm both sorry and not sorry that I've got such a visceral response to that. Um, yeah. That is either he goes or a year ago, um, and it, with, since there's a little one, it's it's best if he goes, and y'all need to take a 30-day separation. Is this pervasive? Does this happen all the time? Not all of the time. I feel like it'll be like a month that's really good, maybe up till two months, and then it will just, then it will happen, and then it will be a week of not talking, him giving me the silent treatment. Um, 
it, it always gets flipped to like, it's my fault, you know, or, of course it does. or I you, wouldn't have acted that way if you didn't do the, yeah, or, cause you know. he married a seven year old. I literally had that conversation with a, with my seven-year-old the other day when she was like, my, my, her brother, he made me. And I stopped her and said, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Yep. Your feelings feel big and it feels like you can't control them. And that's what my job is, is to teach you and help you and walk alongside you. But he didn't make you do anything. He make you hit him. He didn't make yeah. you, what, right? And you, you're made to a seven-year-old in a humongous male body that is such a coward, he decides to yell and scream at his wife in front of his child. Yeah. I mean, that's the sure. height of cowardice. The only the only step further is to hit somebody um, in that situation. Has he ever been violent with you? No, he hasn't been violent. No, that luckily the two things I always said is I can never imagine him cheating or laying hands on me. Yeah, but you but couldn't of have. You, when I say yeah, it, you couldn't have imagined him talking to you this way either. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right. What in the world sets so, him off? Honestly, I feel like it could be, I mean, it could be any number of things, even something as little like last week where, um, in my field of work, I'll, there's certain times where I have to train people and I'll be gone a little bit more often and keep in mind, like I'm the breadwinner. I, I have, I have to, you know? And so, and I'll tell him like, I, and I know he's going to get mad. So I have to gear up to it. Like, listen, this week I'm going to work five days instead of my normal three or four. So um, like be prepared, you know, Why and, uh, in the world would he get, then, I, I'm not, I promise I'm not, I'm not raising my voice at you. I would hug you if you're here. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Why in the world when you're the breadwinner, does he get mad? A, when you're going to serve somebody and teach them and train them and B, you're going to make more money. Why? Does it cut into his video game time? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's well, I, I, that's the thing that I have such a hard time with because it'll be like before when I wasn't training people, he's like, you're not working to your full capacity. You oh, do so good at training dude. people. I don't know why you do or why you don't. And then I do. And it's, it's only you, you just prioritize your job. Your job's only when that's important. I have to be the one to take care of the daughter and all that, you know, it's, so I feel like no matter what I do, it's wrong. There you go. You know why? Cause he's moving the, he's moving the finish line because this has zero to do with you. This has yeah, to do, do with whatever he's going through or working through. He's unwilling to do it, unable to do it, whatever. I don't care. What I'm looking at is the resulting behavior. And the resulting behavior is you live with a seven-year-old in the body of a grown man. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't get to talk to you that way. He doesn't get to talk that way in front of your kid. Yeah. Who is this guy? Like, don't, don't, I don't know his name, but like, tell me about him. What makes him so great and wonderful that he can just spit on his wife like this? I, well, I don't know. He's, he's a big muscular dude. He takes a lot of pride in his fitness. And he's, I mean, I guess when I listen to your podcast, you'd probably describe him as self-righteous when I describe him, you know, this way. Like he's always, always acts like he's super busy, but really doesn't have a whole lot to do. Or, um, I don't, I don't know. He's, he's always has to be the leader. He always prides himself on being such a man, but then he treats me like this and it's like, well, you want to pride yourself on being a man, then act like one. Yeah, you know? it's, it's it, one of the least masculine things a man can do is to treat yeah, those. Sure. He has been charged and not only charged, but committed. He opted in to this relationship with you. He opted into parenthood by sleeping with you. Mm-hmm. And to opt to those you have opted in to love and honor and take care of, the least masculine thing you can do is use them to wipe your boots off. To use, yeah. to, to, to do anything other than be out in the marketplace trying to make your community better, earn a living for your family. Sure, go to the gym. That's an important part of it. But I did my gym work this morning and I worked out hard before anybody was up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And well, and, <laughs> and there's like a few other pieces to it too, where I'm like, man, I, I kept thinking if maybe if he just does one, this one thing, it'll be better. This thing, nope. like he's been seeing a counselor now for a year and a half. We did marital counseling for a year. He, he runs a men's ministry. Oh, like I, good it's, God. 
it's things like that where I'm like, man, like I, like he's I, the it, last person that should be running a ministry for men. And that's my thing. But if I ever said that, of course, I would be like, it would be insane. <laughs> I, I have, if you ever said, Hey, <laughs> your behavior at home and the way you treat me and our daughter doesn't align with the lessons you're teaching these men. <laughs> he would respond by cursing and yelling and right. He would just, he would exactly roll into what you said. Mm-hmm. I've probably let it slip before, to be honest. You know, there's like a saying, oh, oh, I have said before, I wish that some of the guys from your group could see the way that you speak to me because they wouldn't be attending anymore, you know? And, and what's his response to that? His typical responses, well, he'll either go to the most extreme and say something like, I'm going to, how about I be, how about I actually start to be a terrible husband so you could see what it's like to have a hard life or, or you're such a victim. You always have a victim mentality. And All right, I, so like, here's, here's the path. Okay. Like I can't make you do what I'm about to say. And okay. I've only got to talk to you for a few minutes. And so I don't even know if it's the right thing, but based on what you've told me, if you were my sister or you were my, like one of my close friends, if you were a female coworker of mine and you said mm-hmm. what you've just told me, I would say, you're right. I'm done being a victim. Nobody in the world, especially the one guy that got on the knee before me and God and our families and said, I will defend and protect and love and care for you. Especially him. But nobody gets to yell and scream and curse at me. Nobody mm-hmm. gets to belittle me, especially in front of our daughter. Nobody gets to teach my daughter that this is what love and commitment and fidelity in marriage looks like. Period. Mm-hmm. And if it happens to be the person I married, I'm done being a victim. I make the money in this house. I raise the kid in this house. Behavior is a language. You are asking me with all of your big muscles for me to leave. And I hear you loud and clear. So then the other caveat to that is we, we moved two and a half years ago across the country. So it's like, well, then I consider like, where, where would I go? What would I do? I could drive back to my family's house then I leave my business and everything behind. Like, it, you know, it's, it's the logistics part. That's obviously the scary part. And then of course, when it's, when there's things are good, they're really good. We have a lot of fun. We have the same interests. But then yeah, when but bad, you never like, exhale oh in your own home, Nikki. You never fully exhale in your own home. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like walking on eggshells. Always. And when it's good, you're performing, you're, you're singing and dancing. And he happens to like your song on that day. Yeah, that's really true. <laughs> yeah. Like, as long as I behave it, that's the yeah, kind of way dude, it is. As you, long why? as I'm what he wants, he's happy. Man. Here's the deal. There is no, there's no easy path forward for you. Period. Every step forward is going to be hard. Because you're married to somebody that doesn't honor, doesn't love, and doesn't care for you. Period. So every step forward is going to be hard. Being a single mm-hmm. mom, I can't even wrap my head around how hard that would be. Having to start a business back at home where I've got family resources would be unimaginably hard. And you've proven to yourself that you can take care of your daughter's needs pretty much by yourself. Maybe even in spite of your husband. You've proven to yourself you can move to a new community and make be the breadwinner of a family in just a couple of years. Yeah. Or staying in the middle of this mess. That's going to be hard too. And I can't make that call for you. Yeah, that's a good good perspective. There's though. no there's no path forward that's not really challenging. So I'm going to tell you the same thing. I I, I you got to choose your heart. You got to choose your challenge here. My hope is that you choose the challenge that leads to you being free, to you being honored and respected, to you being um, able to show your daughter what strength and respect and resilience and love and character looks like. That's my hope, but I can't make you do that. Yeah. Anytime I have something very, very hard to do, a hard choice to make, I always go to my identity first and then I reverse engineer it. 
here's who I'm going to be. I'm going to be a guy that can tell the truth. I'm going to be a guy that takes care of himself, whatever the thing is. And then I have to reverse engineer the hard things. All right, if I'm a guy that take, is a good steward of his body, the one, the one body God gave me, and I've got mm-hmm. kids, and I got um, a marriage, and I got work that's 24-7, 365, all of it. that means I got to work out at 4 o'clock in the morning sometimes. That means I got to work out at 5.30. That means today I had to cut it quick, and that meant I, when I was cutting it quick, I had to go real hard. Like, I'm going to reverse engineer the stuff from my identity, the person I'm going to become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, it's, I, I, I feel like the, <laughs> I feel like the hardest part is when you know it, it would be easy if it was always bad or like my daughter's obsessed with her dad, like she loves him so much. That's the hard. Like I, I know I, you're right. Can I, I tell you something crazy, Nikki? That, can I tell you something crazy? Tell me. Yeah, tell me. I've mentioned this on the show before, but it was like a lightning bolt in my soul when I was working with a. Um, one of my practicum supervisors was a guy who worked with abused children. Mm -hmm. And I remember leaving one of the sessions one day or a conversation we were having. And I said, well, that kid's going to be okay. And he looked at me and said, Hey, John, straight A's can be a trauma response to. Oh, wow. And you have fight and you have fight and you have flee. And there's a fourth one that is, is less common, less talked about. There's fight fight, flee, and fawn. I'm going to nuzzle up so close that maybe they won't get me there. I'm going to be extra sexual. I'm going to be extra close. I'm going to be extra nuzzly. I'm going to be extra tender. Because like in boxing, sometimes the safest place to be to someone who hits really hard is close as humanly possible to them. Yeah. And so just because yeah, a kid nuzzles <laughs> up to their dad doesn't mean that, oh, she sees how wonderful he is. No, she may innately know the safest place is real, real close. That's true, because especially after he'll yell or whatever, that's the other thing that kills me is that I'll see happen is, for instance, she'll do something or have an outburst and he'll get upset with her and she'll say, like, sh- she'll look at him and go, do you love me, dad? Do you love me, dad? And sometimes, like, if he re- she really just frustrated him, he'll just look at her and go, yeah, and kind of look away. And I've had to tell him, like, hey, like, don't teach her that your your love is only contingent on what she does for you. But then I guess now that I have to say that out loud, that that's what happens to me, too. Yeah. And I'm getting choked up now, too, because I have a seven-year-old little girl. Yeah, so. Here's all I can tell you, Nikki. I can't, I can't, I can't make you do anything. I'd love to talk to him. Something went sideways in his life. I don't know what it is. I can just tell you, you're worth more than this. And for God's sake, that little baby girl's worth more than this. And just by nature of a lot of my higher ed work, my job with college students, I'm going to put the, you're right. Your mom is watching you and learning what safety looks like, how to be safe in a house with a volatile, unpredictable, loud, withholding adult that's trauma by the way trauma with a with a with a big t on it trauma and she's watching oh this is how we deal with this situation and the number of students i've sat with over the years that have completely lost their faith walked away from any sort of faith it was almost never about the faith it was about people proclaiming one thing and then living another way that the kids over a period of their childhood could not reconcile the cognitive dissonance between who this person is espousing to be and who they actually are. And they just say, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm out. Because if this is what this is, I'm out. And you do that for 18 years, it becomes part of your nervous system. And somebody starts talking about faith and your body's like, dude, get out of here. And so we, we make, often make people walking away from faith about an about a intellectual issue. It's a nervous system issue. Get me out of here. This is not safe. It's the same as to your daughter one day, I love you, will you marry me? And her body will say, get out of here. Not safe. 
and he's getting some help. He's doing all the quote unquote right things, going to a counselor, but he is not changing his life, period. And you were not put on this planet to be his doormat. But I can't make you leave. And I can't make you have a hard conversation. And I can't make him change. I love you. I love him too. Good grief, man. There's a lot of hurt in that house. We'll be right back. One of the most common questions I get on my show is how do you get something off your chest? Maybe it's a deep secret that you've never told anyone, or maybe it's something that happened to you, or maybe it's something you've done and you're deeply ashamed about it. You're worried because you know bringing this to light is going to cause disruption in every part of your life. All of us, every single one of us have things both big and small that we need to get off our chest from time to time. And I say this always, secrets will kill you, but it's often so hard to know where to start or even how to say these things. Therapy is a safe and effective place to get things off your chest, to learn how to say scary and hard things out loud, and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I have personally been blessed to have a great therapist who I can talk to and who helps me get these heavy things off my chest and figure out what to do next. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time, and it doesn't cost any extra money. Listen, it's time to get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, let's go down the street here in Nashville and talk to Elijah. What's up, Elijah? Hey, Dr. John. I really appreciate you having me. You got it, man. What's going on, dude? Hey, so I got married about three weekends ago. Awesome. <laughs> I've got Congrats, man. Thank you. I got a wonderful wife. Um, she's everything I could ask for. What I wanted to ask about today was was just kind of a roadmap to, one, obviously, how do I not mess this up? And two, one of the things we've talked about is, let's make this the best marriage of all time. And, and she's on board with me on that. We, we see eye to eye on, on, on pretty much everything I can think of. Um, so, and I've looked, we, we've had premarital counseling. Um, I feel like we're doing the right things, but I just, I just really want to make sure that, that we're doing the right things that we need to do. People talk about putting in the work on marriage and they don't really go past that and, and explain really what that means. So just a, a roadmap for how we make this the best marriage that we can. Dude, I love that question. And it's a disastrous goal. Can I can I blow up your whole model for this? Yeah, you can you can blow it up. All right. 100%. Do not seek to have the best marriage of all time. That's too much pressure to put on both you and your wife and your marriage. That's not the goal. Okay. The goal is to ask every single day, how can I love you today? Yeah. And we're going to put in some pictures of what that looks like. Make no mistake. You will mess this up. Go ahead and release yourself from that. You'll mess it up. You know what? She will too. Yeah. And then y'all will both try to fix it and work on it and you'll both mess it up. Okay. Yeah. So I'll give you a couple things off the top of my head that um, I wish I had known when I started. Also knowing I wouldn't have done any of it. Right? <laughs> Um, I, I saw this recently that before the internet, we thought that people made dumb decisions because they didn't have the information. Now we know that is not true, right? Yeah. yeah people definitely. have the info and they continue to make dumb decisions. So yep. uh, I'm going to fill a couple of things up here, uh, fill you in, in with a couple of things and um, kind of go from there. Okay. That, that sounds great. All right. So the first thing is, I want you to not try to over-intellectualize this. Yeah. I want you all to make a habit, a practice, a daily morning practice, a daily evening practice, and then a little more of an intensive weekly practice and then a real intensive annual practice. And that is simply not trying to guess how she wants to be loved. Yeah. Not try to guess how she wants to be kept safe. Not try to guess what she needs from you or what, but get in a regular rhythm of asking. Yeah. And the quicker you can demystify the Hollywood bull crap that is, you're supposed to read her mind and she's supposed to read your mind. And that's what romance is. The quicker you can melt that nonsense 
and be honest with each other and begin to think of it this way. Over time, I'm going to teach her how I best feel loved and vice versa. Yeah. And by the way, knowing every five to 10 years, you're going to change. And so is she. Yeah. Uh, actually, maybe every month or two, right? <laughs> yeah. But so Definitely. what we're doing is we're building a framework. We're not coming up with a bunch of answers. So we're going to build a framework where every day I'm going to ask you, hey, what's the best way I can love you today? What's your picture of today look like? And she might say, I don't know. What kind of question is that? That means her dad, her dad never asked that question. She never saw her dad ask her mom that question. She might not even know. Yeah. Cool. We're going to figure that out. And vice versa. How can I love you today? Yeah. And you'll be like, uh, I don't know. You'll make out. Over time, <laughs> you'll, you'll come up with, I really need just to sleep tonight. Or I really need to, let's, I just need to go to something crazy. Can we just go out? And I know we can't afford yeah. it. I know we just, whatever. Can we just go out? Like, right? So we're going to slowly begin to practice that. But if she knows you're going to ask that question every morning and every evening and every Sunday night, you're going to get together and go over the calendar for the week and go over your budget for the week. Dude, you're building a marriage that is so resilient that when something happens and a whole bunch of things will happen, Elijah, yep. you just got to trust me on this. Yeah. Both of your parents, if, if, if the world works out the way it's supposed to, you'll bury all four parents. Yeah. You'll bury all of your grandparents. One of you will find yourself super into somebody else you work with or somebody else at church or somebody else in your neighborhood. And you'll have to claw your way back. Mm -hmm. One of you will hurt the other person. You'll have parenting difference. These things will happen. This is marriage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if every day, how can I love you today? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay. That's number one. Number two, be very clear about asking your wife, what does safety look like to you? Mm -hmm. You sound like a guy that's into like, how do I protect and provide, right? That kind of stuff. Yep. <laughs> yep. Jiu-jitsu working out. Yeah. There you go. When my wife and I were dating, this is going to shock you. I'm going to blow your mind. I was a hothead, <laughs> a real hothead. Dude. <laughs> and then when I got into MMA and it was less sport when I got into it, it was more just like practice was sparring and like some sit-ups yep. and then more sparring. Um, yep. Going I, hard. I thought protecting my wife was getting in a fight all the time. <laughs> and what I came to realize was I made her feel less safe on a daily basis. Yep. Cause she didn't know if I was going to pop off at a grocery store. She was the one that said, John, if you get into some altercation in a restaurant, because somebody looked at me wrong and you tell yourself you're protecting me and his buddy hits you on the head with a bottle. I'm left alone with two crazed guys. You yep. have not protected me. And so I learned with my wife that the greatest way I could protect her was to get her out of situations to leave. Yeah. And so for me, courage was not getting in the middle of a situation. Courage for <laughs> me was sucking up my ego and pride and getting my wife to a safe place, bringing her home. Yeah, that's good. Does that that's make good. sense? I, I, yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely lead towards doing the first, like that guy look at you. I'm, I'm going to go get him. I'm going to, I'm going to ask him, Hey, what are you looking at? And, and so, yeah, that's good. And your wife will probably say, uh, do you think I'm beautiful? And you'll go, yeah. And she'll go, he does too. Get over yourself. Right. And you'll go, yeah. oh yeah. Right. So, yep. uh, yeah, definitely. But, but that's asking the question, Hey, when does this make you feel safe? And there's other times, um, I used to joke, my wife's a Texas feminist. She'd be like, women should be paid equal, all this stuff, right? <laughs> That's all true. And then she would be like, you need to go hit that dude. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yep. I don't know what to yep. do. But so there, there is times that that's like, you know what I mean? But that's not for this show. Here's the deal. That like communication and asking what, what to do. Right. You know, what, what makes her feel safe? Yep. What does intimacy feel like? What is sex? Like, like what, what makes you feel loved? Yeah. What makes you feel all hot and bothered? What makes you just want to get it on? Like not you going, Oh, I know what's going to be. Cause that's the way you're, you feel, or that's what you, way you saw it in some movies sometimes. Like let her dictate that. And yeah. hopefully vice versa that you open up a dialogue that she can ask you that stuff. Um, and that leads to what does being loving look like? Ask that question because I thought being loving probably the first 15 years was making money, getting a bunch of titles, getting invited to stuff, getting things autographed for my wife, um, running around in the middle of the night with police officers and fighters so that I could look like I was living some life that I really wasn't living. I wasn't in the CIA, even though I was like, yeah, bro, I watch the shows. 
all, like, <laughs> all that was me trying to love my wife. Come to find out, she just wanted me. And yeah. I didn't have a psychology for that. Because my only value was found in utility. What can I do? And she was like, A, I'm smarter than you. B, <laughs> at the time, I make the same amount of money as you about. Um, will you just hold my hand and watch the sunset with me and drink some coffee? Yeah. Right? And by the way, that's changed. Yeah. There's a season when you need to go to work. There's a season when like you got to write a book and there's a season when kids are born and need some help. Like, but it changes over time. But what does loving look like? Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm gearing up for a time where I'm going to have to have to work really hard for about two to three years for my career and getting that started. Perfect. And, and knowing, knowing that communication is going to be, you know, the biggest thing asking, how can I love you? How can I, Make you feel safe, those questions. That, that's, I'm sure that's going to be really important that time. And I, here's a, a magic question for every marriage. I think every person that's married or about to be married should ask this question. What do we want our home to feel like? Yeah. And then let's reverse engineer that. And in my house, yep. I wanted it full of laughter. I wanted it to feel warm when I walked in. And so we had to figure that out. Well, John, if you want the house to feel warm, I need you to put your dishes up the night before. Yep. John, I need you to help make the bed. I need you to yeah. help with the kids in the morning. And so then when you get home, ah, right? Awesome. Let's do that. Relax. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and here's a couple of other things that are marriage adjacent. You take care of you all the mm -hmm. way around, not just lifting weights and going to jujitsu. Make sure you got a group of men that you talk to on the regular, that you tell the stuff that makes you scared. Dude, I'm scared about like my job. Yeah. I am like this woman that I work with, she thinks I'm hilarious and like, I'm kind of starting to like think up a joke that I can tell her when I get to work. Like, dude, and you got to have people that you talk to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, and the third, like go see a counselor, man. If you're about to gear up and go get it, get yourself a coach, get yourself a counselor that you can. So that way you don't use your wife as a trash can over the next three years. Mm -hmm. That she only Definitely. gets you when you're exhausted and you're not gonna believe what happened today. Right. <laughs> yep. And then here's the last one. Hold all of us with a really open hand. The greatest quote I've ever heard about marriage was from Esther Perel when she said, most adults have four or five great passionate loves in their adulthood. And if they work really hard, it can be with the same person. Mm. I've been married for 21 and a half years. I'm a radically different person than I was five years ago. Unrecognizable. Yeah. I am radically different from the guy I was 10 years ago. Literally yep. unrecognizable. And the guy that got married when he was 24, I don't even, that dude, geez. That guy <laughs> needs to be taken out behind the woodshed and just beat, right? <laughs> and so I tell you, yeah. she's going to change. And so are you. And that's not the problem. That's the beauty. Yeah, that's good. So if you hold her to a list of, you said you believe in this. Dude, the greatest thing is changing our beliefs. It's one of my favorite things in the world yeah. to do. That's why I read books. That's why I listen to podcasts. That's why I have interviews. That's why I travel the country. Oh, I thought, I believed this. I thought something different. You and your wife need to be really secure on your values and hold your beliefs super, super lightly. So me and my wife share some values, dignity and respect, no matter what. Curiosity over everything. Um, uh, hospitality, right? So if she comes in and goes, hey, I don't think I believe X anymore. I believe Y now. Then our value is not, you will believe exactly like me. It is curiosity and dignity. Whoa, dude, that sounds wild. Tell me about that, right? Yeah. That's different than, you can't tell our kids that. Our kids are going to be fine. You see what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Yeah, so maybe good. a fun, yeah. like, month. You do this, brother. Have a one-month anniversary. She'll, she'll never see it coming. Have a one-month anniversary and uh, take her out and have something really nice where y'all can write down your values. Who are we going to be? And make sure you talk through, I know our beliefs are going to change. You're going to read a book. You're going to have an experience. You're going to get fired. I'm going to get fired. We're going to have changes in what we believe. That's the beauty of our life. The only people who can't figure that crap out are politicians. Jeez oh, Louise. We're going to get new information. Cool. That's awesome. What are our values going to be? Who are we going to be? And let's ink those in right now 
And then let's hold some beliefs really loosely. I'm going to send you um, all of the questions for humans cards, both decks for couples and the Christmas one that is probably going to be sold out by the time the show comes out. And I'm going to send you a couple other questions for humans decks and building an unanxious life. I want you all to read that book together and just build a roadmap in your house. As y'all are, you're saying, okay, the next three years, I'm going to be grinding it in my job, which is amazing, by the way. Um, I've had multiple two or three or four year stints where I'm grinding it, grinding it at work. Um, Use that as a roadmap. How are we both going to be whole in our house? It's going to be awesome. I'm proud of you, man. Great questions to be asking. I waited till you're 15 to ask these questions. So, dude, you're way ahead of the game. Take care, good man. We'll be right back. Almost every day, whether I'm doing my red light therapy, driving to work, listening to the Gregorian chants on the airplane, or just sitting on my front porch, I spend time using Hallow, my go-to app for music, meditation, and guided prayer. And right now, I'm in a particularly stressful time, deadlines. I just finished a big speech in front of thousands of people, lots of travel. My family's ending school. It's just chaotic. And recently, I made a decision to dive even deeper into my faith and spiritual practices. And all of my life is up in the air, and Hello is helping me stay grounded. Hello is the number one prayer app on planet Earth. They have 10,000 audio-guided prayers, meditations, including daily prayers, daily gospel reflections, psalm readings, daily minute meditations. And there are places for people who are skeptical and new to the whole faith thing, and there are tons of spaces for those who have been swimming in faith waters for their entire life, and they just want to go deeper. Stories, audiobooks, special things for kids, special focuses for mental and emotional health, so much more. And listen, in May, they're going to feature 33 Days to Morning Glory, which is a Marian consecration. And for listeners of the John Deloney Show, you get three months of hallow, all 10,000 plus prayers, meditations, music, all of it for free. Go to hallow.com for three free months of the app. That's hallow.com, H-A-L-L-O-W.com slash Deloney. All right, let's go out to the concrete jungles where dreams are made of to New York and talk to Monica. What's up, Monica? Hi, Dr. Deloney. Thank you for speaking with me. Of course. Thank you for calling. What's up? Um, well, my question is, I'm like in my mid fifties, maybe late fifties. And, uh, <laughs> that was awesome. I'm 42 and by 42, I mean like 61. That was awesome. Um, and I just, you know, my life is sort of pathetic and I don't really know what to do next. Like, I don't know how to fix it or what to do. Um, how, hold on, hold on. You can't just drop <laughs> that challenge and leave old man. That's from cry to kid one. All right. So, <laughs> Define pathetic for me. Give me a couple of data points that suggest Monica, my new friend, is pathetic. I got a pen. I'm writing these down. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm 56 years old. I'm not married. I don't have kids. Hold on. Hold on. Neither of those things count. So continue. That doesn't make you pathetic. That makes um, you single. So go ahead. You know, I just sort of have... Like me, I'm really nervous. I'm sorry. No, Um, don't be nervous. You're my friend. We're just having nachos. um, I've made like a whole bunch of like bad decisions. Tell me. Tell me. Way back. You know, I like, I messed up my like 20s by like just getting high and drinking um, and then got sober and then sort of like hit out. Can I, can I, can I just keep interrupting you? Is that okay? Sure. Okay. I know it makes it hard for our our audience to listen, but I just want to stop you as we're going. Okay. If we were in counseling, I'd let you spend all these out and we'd pull each one of these apart. But I just want to stop you here. What in your twenties? Um, what in your twenties doing drugs and drinking was your body trying to protect you from that? You grew up zero through 19. Um, I mean, I had some, you know, I mean, overall I had a great childhood. <laughs> I call bull, I call bull crap on that. <laughs> um, on a but- stick. You know, I had like a bunch of years where like an older family member did like some really messed up stuff with me sexually. So I think, I, you know, there was that stuff that I was trying to Monica deal with. Monica, for 10 years, your body was trying to protect you in the only way it knew how. Mm-hmm. You didn't waste anything. You survived. Yeah. If there was a shipwreck in the middle of the ocean 
and you got hit on the head as the boat went down and you floated and treaded water and eventually somebody picked you up or eventually the waves brought you to shore. Would anybody say, wow, you sure wasted an opportunity to swim real hard? (laughs) No, they would say, thank God you're alive. Right. Now, is there better ways to handle childhood sexual abuse? On paper, yes, there is. Did you survive? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm definitely one of those people who believe, you know, getting high probably saved my life. I probably would have killed myself if I didn't. That's, so, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's only somebody who truly understands addiction can say that and hear it. And I'm mm-hmm. with you. Okay? High five you. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so, like, you know, that was my 20s, and then, I mean, I never left. I mean, I'm in AA. I never left, but I didn't stay sober that whole time. Um, but it's just been, like, a series of, like, bad decisions. You Give know? me some like, more. Give me, what was the bad decision in your 30s? Um, just, like, relapsing, you know, like, not staying sober and okay. trying to deal with my past and not really trusting anyone to be able to tell anyone the truth. So, like, it just sort of wasted a lot of years um and i don't know like going to dead-end jobs when i could have done something else but i was basically too afraid because i just i just sort of got stuck in like these jobs that i thought there was a future and there wasn't a future monica somebody who was your family the one tribe on planet earth that's supposed to love you and keep you safe hurt you in one of the most powerful and destructive ways a person can hurt somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that never should have happened. I'm, I'm just sick and so sorry that that happened. And I'm so sick and sad that you didn't have an environment in your home where it was okay to say something. Yeah, that that's, was, it was not okay. <laughs> that's not, Yeah. And so don't come here not telling the full truth. My childhood was great. It wasn't. It was hell. And what made it worse is that you were burning alive inside your own skin and you had to keep a smile on that face and make sure the house was okay. Yeah. And so I want you to be real, real nice to 20 and 30-year-old Monica. Because everything, this wasn't an intellectual exercise for you. Your body said no one can be trusted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to figure this out on your own. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, it wasn't until, I mean, you know, I'm sober a long time now. Um, How long? Uh, in January, it'll be 20 years. So, you know, it's been that a long is time now. Straight gangster, Monica. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So you got sober at 36. Tell me about your 40s. Um, I just sort of, you know, I, I mean, I went to therapy. I did like, you know, EMDR, like did all that stuff. And, but I got badly into debt, you know, like mm-hmm. I just sort of, you know, I gained a ton of weight. And um, I guess I kind of like hit out in AA because I didn't know, know what else to do, you know. And um, yeah, I just, you know, like I stayed at a job that I thought there was a future and then that like imploded a few years ago. Um, and it's just been like one bad decision, like, you know, like getting into debt, getting out of debt. And now like I'm back in debt, you know, like I, I lost, like, you know, I finally lost the weight. Like I lost, um, over like right, right after COVID I lost like 75 pounds and now I've gained 10 pounds back. And it's like, you know, like I'm just like, I feel like I just can't seem to, I can't get it together. You know, like I, I can't date. I, you know, like I just, here's the, here's the fundamental, here's the fundamental thing. You think Monica's broken. Mm -hmm. You don't like Monica. Yeah. (laughs) Think about this. If you had a car that you were pretty sure wouldn't run right. And that was pretty sure was really ugly. You would never drive it unless you absolutely had to. You would take a taxi, you'd call an Uber, you take the bus, you take the you take the train. Yeah. You'd avoid that car. How in the world can somebody love you, Monica, when you won't love you? 
Right. How in the world can somebody... I don't know how to change that. Do what? I don't know how to change that. You've got to let 20-year-old Monica go. She fought like hell for you. She had a really weird way of punching and kicking, but she kept fighting. (laughs) And 30-year-old Monica, for about half that decade, fought and kicked and probably started crashing and burning. And 36-year-old Monica did the hardest thing Monica's ever had to do, which is get rid of that crutch because the thing that kept you alive in your 20s was going to kill you in your 30s. Mm-hmm. And then you eked out trust with an employer and they burned you and your body was like, told you, quit trusting, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and on the marathon of life, you walked your 40s. You just said, I'm not going to, I'm going to quit sprinting and running and stopping and crashing. I'm going to walk. Cool. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Nothing you have told me is pathetic. Not one thing is pathetic. Do I wish it had played out differently for you, starting with child abuse, starting with um, a home where you were a window ornament and a air freshener for your family? Yes. I wish with all my guts it had been different. And it wasn't. And do I wish that kind of trauma hadn't sent you on a 30-year journey of trying to figure out how to stay alive? I do, with all my guts. And here we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I just, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what, I just don't know what to do. You know, like, my mom is 85, and, like, in the last six months, it sort of hit me, like, oh, God. Like, I could easily have another 30 years of this. Oh, you got 30 years, easy. You're too strong. (laughs) You're too strong. And so the question before you is this. I mentioned this in a previous call, and I I wrote a whole chapter on this in a book. The path before you has two paths. Both of them suck. (laughs) (laughs) They do. They're both going to be hard. You Mm -hmm. trying to white-knuckle sobriety alone and work dead-end jobs in a really expensive place to live, it's going to be very hard. Very, very hard. You spending some time forgiving Monica and celebrating Monica for keeping you alive. Learning to trust again when every single cell in your body is going to tell you not to. That's going to be hard. Not losing weight because you don't like Monica and you think Monica's gross, but losing weight and staying a good steward of your body because Monica's freaking awesome and she deserves to feel good when she wakes up. It's going to be hard. Getting out of debt, Mm -hmm. not because I'm such a freaking pathetic bum and I keep borrowing. No, not owing anybody any money because for the first time in my life, nobody's going to own Monica. I'm going to walk down the street with my head held high. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it seems, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. Here's the, here's the truth. And here's how I know I'm not just, I'm not, not just spitting bull crap at you. Have you heard the story of my mom? No. My mom wasn't allowed to go to college. She grew up in a religious group that wouldn't allow her to go to college. My dad always told her to go. The kid, my brother and sister and I, we always cheered her on. At the age of 42, she finally got a job. I mean, she finally went to her first community college class. 42. I was in high school. I think my sister was a freshman in college. And I had a little brother. She took one class. Next semester, she took one more class. Next semester, she took one more class. At 57, she graduated with her PhD. Wow. This year, I think she's 73 or 74. I'm not a great son. She spent her last summer at Oxford in London or outside of London teaching students. In her 70s. (laughs) She Uh would not get on a plane in her 40s. Wouldn't get on it. And so I, not only is this like, you're worth more. I'm not just throwing Instagram quotes at you. I've seen it in my house. Wow. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. The question I have for you is, are you willing to not try to find love, not try to find a job? Are you willing to put the work in to love Monica? Yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how people do that. Like, right, I, don't, I, got you. I don't get it. I got you. 
Are you in? Yeah. All right. Here's a, I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff to get you started. And then you're going to owe me a couple of homework assignments. Is that a fair trade? Yeah. Sure. All right. So gift number one, I'm giving you Own Your Past, Change Your Future, my number one best-selling book on, I'm going to give it to you for free. It's about trauma. I want you to read it. And it's the more importantly than the descriptions of trauma is the back end, which is what do I do now? What are the exercises? What are the things I need to do? Okay. Mm -hmm. A lot of therapy is a lot of talking and talking is important, but also you have to go act. You have to go do something different and it's time for you to do something different. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. You're going to read that book and then I'm going to give you my most recent best-selling book, Building a Non-Anxious Life. And it's a roadmap to living a life where you can, your body can finally go, ah. So then when that guy offers you a job, you can go, dude, I'm not working for you. I can see this now. Or when that guy asks you for coffee, you can go, yeah, my body thinks he's safe. I'm in. Okay? Mm-hmm. The third day, okay. I'm going to send you all of Financial Peace University for free. All the videos, wow. all everything. Okay. Okay. All nine Thank lessons. You. And I'm going to send you the best app on planet earth for budgeting every dollar app for a year for free. And it automatically links to your bank. And when you spend something, it lets you know, and it teaches you how to budget and walks it all the way through it. Okay. Okay. The next thing I'm going to send you for free is I'm going to send you um, two sessions with a financial coach here at Ramsey Solutions where I work. And they're going to talk through your actual numbers, okay? Okay. And help you get it. They're they're going to walk alongside you and help you build a budget. And 56-year-old Monica is going to go, it's so stupid, I don't have to build a budget. Dude, everybody needs help. It's all good. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. The next thing I'm going to give you is my friend Ken Coleman's book for Paycheck to Purpose. We're going to help you get a job. I'm also going to send you his get clear assessment, which is an assessment, which is like, all right, I'm 56. What the heck do I want to do for the next 30 years? Yeah. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. I got you all those tools. Here's what you owe me. Thank you. All right. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's probably a thousand dollars or more worth of stuff. Here's what, here's what, um, you owe me. You owe me a promise that before the weekend is over, you're going to write a letter to 24 year old Monica. And that letter is going to start with, Dear Monica, thank you so much for keeping me alive. And I want you to go down memory lane. Remember that one time? I cannot believe you did that. What were you thinking? (laughs) I can't believe you got in that car and you went to that place and you made that deal and you ended up in that hospital. You ended up with those guys. Yeah. And you were doing whatever you had to do to keep me alive. Thank you. Okay. And then you're going to write a letter to 30-year-old Monica, the one that decided I'm going to go get sober. And you're going to tell her, thank you for entering into the pit of hell yet again, this time without a sword and without a shield. Because the sword and the shield for a long time was alcohol and drugs, and she went back in with nothing, just AA. Mm-hmm. And then I want you to write 56-year-old Monica a letter. And that letter is going to be you talking to yourself and it's going to start, Dear Monica, I love you. So glad you're still here. Here's who we're going to become. Are you ever going to be a millionaire? Probably not. Are you ever going to own a 5,000 square foot house? Probably not. So let's don't be, let's don't like, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's don't project this, like, I'm going to manifest what, no, nah, let's don't do that. If you become a millionaire, I'll cheer you on, dude. I'll be so happy. Right. Here's what I want for you. I want you to look up and be 80 and have a small condo that you own that's yours all by yourself. Nobody owns it. Or maybe even a small house. And I want you to have a little bit of retirement and social security. And I want you to have a car that is a good running car that you own completely. I want you to have a small retirement. See what I'm saying? I want you to begin to paint that picture. Are you going to have a Rolls Royce out there? No. Are you going to have a paid for Camry or Corolla? Yes. If you have a paid-for Corolla at the age of 62, I promise that car's still going before long after you are, right? Because those cars never stop running. Right. But here's what we're grieving the picture. 
We're grieving the, I thought it was good. It's not. And here's what it is going to look like. And at 62, you might be a teacher. You might be a businesswoman. You might be a small business owner. I don't know what you're going to be. But you're going to have your head held high. You're going to be proud. You're going to be knocking these things out. You're going to have some friends that come over to your house. Some weird wackadoodle-do friends that come over to Monica's house and hang out. Because you love them. And because you love you. Proud of you, Monica. This is the your Independence Day. Monica's free starting today. You've been sober for 20 years. Game on. I just put all the chips in. All of them. I call, Monica. Your move. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? Deloney here. Listen, you and me and everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, as we wrap up today's show, um, the editor staff, y'all aren't going to hear it, but I went to say um, I put all my chips on the table to the last caller. And also at the same time, the other side of my brain was like, let's say we moved our chips all in and put and move came out of my mouth. I pooped. I didn't poo. But they edited it out. So y'all can't hear it, but decided to let you know what happened. Gosh, our editor staff is amazing. All right. So as we wrap up today's show, um, this is a great article by Lucy Hanley from CNBC. Uh, I've actually been experimenting with some of this stuff in my house and it's magic. So um, according to, to psychologists, the questions, how was school and how was your day are not the best questions to ask children after a day of school. Children quickly understand when adults are trying to get an answer from them and not trying to engage them. And so, really quick, how was your day? Fine. Um, how was school? Good. Like they become automated. They become a part of your kit. So, very wide-ranging questions are so big, they it's just easier to say, yeah, it was fine. And most adults want to switch off after work and let go of their day. Children are the same. And I find myself, how was work today? And I go, fine. It was cool. Their mind needs a break, and often their main focus is on food, fun, play, and rest, said Dr. Martha Dieros Calado. So it's such a common question. Kids just let it roll off. So here's a couple of things. What to say right after school? Don't turn the first second of school into a 50 questions. How's your day? What's going on? How's it? Let them get in your car and, and go, Whoo. let them walk into your house after being on the bus and go, Whoo. Or you come home from work and they've already been at home for a while. Let's let them walk in and, hey, how's it going? Feel your energy. You feel theirs. Be patient and wait till your child is ready to talk, um, she said. Then, when you ask questions, be very specific. Some questions I've started asking in my house. Who did you help today? I just popped that question off. I saw it on the internet. So I asked my kids. My son, who's a middle schooler, of course, answered, me. I helped me. And I was like, that's the wrong person. And he goes, I'm pretty good. And I help. Anyway, my daughter, though, thought about it for a second. She's an elementary school person, a kid, and she rattled off a couple of people she helped. If I'd said, how was school? She never would have mentioned that. But one kid dropped a bunch of stuff and she helped that person. And then another kid was got in trouble at school at lunch and she went with that. It was pretty neat just to say, hey, who'd you help today? So I'm starting to ask that question more and more. Um, and hopefully they begin to look in their day for who can I help? Other questions that the article suggests is what did you enjoy most about playtime or lunch today? What's the funniest thing that happened at lunch today? What's the worst thing that happened at lunch? That's how I found out. One of my kids got another silent lunch schools. Stop with the silent lunches. It's ridiculous. Let kids talk and be loud and be silly and be kids. Why? Let me think about it. Because they're kids. 
and they have to sit in your classrooms and stare at a stupid Chromebook or do homework all day long or watch Khan Academy videos, even though taxpayers are paying your salary, or just do worksheets. Let them laugh at lunch, for God's sake. All right, I'm off my soapbox now. Uh, what did a teacher or friend say today that made you laugh, that made you nervous? It's also important to talk about emotions. Were you feeling sad today? Was there anything that made you feel better today? Was there a time you felt lonely? What'd you do about it? Here's the thing. Ask very specific questions. Give them a second to answer. Maybe you go first. I felt lonely today. When Kelly came in a meeting and just stared at me and shook her head and embarrassment and shame and walked out, I felt lonely. What did I do? Yeah, I just shoved my face full of candy to try to make all the sadness go away. Did you feel lonely today? That might be a conversation you could ask if you worked with Kelly. <laughs> so here's what I'm saying. Wait till your kids are ready to talk. Maybe you go first. Don't ask broad questions like, how is the world? How is today? Be very specific and ask emotional questions. What's the, th what's the thing that made you feel awesome today? Made you feel scared? And let's create a new dialogue with our kids. Let's model for them what that looks like. And maybe you do that with your husband or with your wife. Model what that looks like so that they have a picture of what it looks like when you ask them. Let's ask questions to listen to our kids, not just to do a checklist. All right, y'all stay in school. Don't do drugs. Be nice to each other. Kelly, you're getting better at this directing job producing job I work with what I'm given <laughs> <laughs> bye <laughs>